have something for you here at the beginning. Um, I just want to present to you some characteristics. Um, and, and then you just tell me what I'm talking about, okay? So here's some characteristics of, of, of this. They believe in God, okay? If you think you know it, just hold on. Let me get through these couple things here. They know and confess that Jesus is the Son of God. They fear God. What am I talking about? Someone said over here, what? Demons. That's right. You were supposed to save your answer for at least two responses. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I've asked that other places, and what do we think? Those are characteristics of what? Believers. Believers. That's a Christian, right? A Christian believes God. A Christian uh, confesses and knows that Jesus is the Son of God, and a Christian fears God. But all of those things that I explained are, 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 are how the Bible explained demons, too. James two nineteen says, you believe that there's one God? Well, good for you. The demons believe and shudder. They fear. They tremble. Not only do they believe that, that, that there is a God, they shudder at the thought of this God, Scripture tells us. Not just that, but, but they know and confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Matthew 8, Luke 4, and, 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 and passages where you see that Jesus uh, comes into the presence of someone who's possessed by a demon. And what happens? Immediately, they're like, don't. We know who you are. We know that you're the Son of God. Don't cast us into the abyss. This, this isn't our time, is it? And verbally, they're confessing, this is the Son of God. In fact, Jesus has to say... <clears throat> Shh. be quiet, right? So what's the difference? What's the difference if that's the, if that's the characteristics of demons? To be honest, some of us would be like, man, that's a, that's a pretty good week for me. That's a pretty good day for me. Man, if I can make it through a day and say that I believe, I have faith, I believe that God is. If I make it through a day and think, Man, I fear God today. I really fear him and who he is, which is a good thing. Those would be like, man, that's, that's pretty good. I, I really believe today, all day long, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. Like, man, I did it. I was a Christian today. But what's the difference? What sets it apart? We're going to talk about a passage today that is, that is, is it's tough. Uh, to be honest, it's, it, in my opinion, it's probably the scariest passage in the entire Bible. Uh, Matthew chapter 7. Let me rephrase that. It can be the scariest passage in the entire Bible. It doesn't have to be, but it can be. Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 21. And let's stand up. I'm going to read uh, verses 21 through 23. Here we go. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. God, we need you now. We need you to speak through your word. God, this, 
this passage, Lord, I just, you know my heart, you know my prayers this week, you know um, my desires, Lord. I pray that you would awaken, bring honesty and genuineness today. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. When this, this part of the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus is still kind of giving the invitation of his sermon. Uh, he's calling people from false religion to the true kingdom of God, following Christ, being in Christ, having the righteousness of Christ, not a righteousness that we try to manufacture ourselves. And he's, so he's still kind of, towards the end of this, still in that invitation part of his sermon. And here Jesus is saying that not only we talked about last week about false prophets and how they can deceive and lead us astray. Jesus is saying here, not only is it false prophets that can deceive us, but we can deceive ourselves. And many people are walking through the doors of church in and out every Sunday, some Sunday and Wednesday, going to life group going, and all the while deceiving themselves into thinking that they're okay. And in the same way we talked about last week where false prophets can lead astray and have a teaching that we think sounds good and followable, yet is not the narrow way that Jesus says that is, that is following him that leads to life. In the same way, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that everything's fine. The reason why so few enter the narrow gate that Jesus talks about in, in, in Matthew 7, verse 13, is because of self-deception. Not, not, not wanting to humble themselves to say, I, I don't know Christ. J.C. Ryle says this, the Lord Jesus winds up the Sermon on the Mount by a passage of heart-piercing application. He turns from false prophets to false professors. Notice what the Lord says here. He's not, he's not speaking um, to irreligious people. He's not speaking to atheists or agnostics. He's not, he's not speaking to those who, who are not professing or saying that they have uh, this faith in God or in Christ. He's not, he's not speaking to the irreligious. In fact, he's speaking to the very religious, devoted, devotedly religious people. But they have deluded, they've deceived themselves into thinking that they're on the narrow path that leads to Christ, when in reality they're on the wide road that leads to hell. These people are the people who, who, who are quote-unquote religious, and they think they're okay. They think everything's fine. Everything's okay. Jesus says it's not okay. Now, I don't know how many people I have, I have talked to who, if I asked them, how are things with the Lord? How is your relationship with the Lord? How are things with the Lord? And they'll answer something like this. Well, nowhere near where, what it should be. And, and maybe all of us can say that, right? I feel that way. I mean, certainly I want to be closer to God. I want to know his word better. I want to know him and love him and, and treasure him above all things. I want to follow him in all ways. I want that. But the problem is, when we have this response, well, nowhere, nowhere near what it should be, but we're not doing anything about it. We don't really care that it's nowhere near what it should be. We know it's nowhere near what it should be, but I'm just going to live the way I want to live. 
and everything will be okay. But I'm okay. I know I'll go to heaven, but my relationship is nowhere near what it should be. That, that's a strange way of thinking for people who say that they love God, right? How could I say, how could I say, man, my relationship is nowhere near what it, where it could be. I'm not following. I'm not obeying. I'm not doing what God's called me to do. I'm not doing anything that he's told me to do, but I'm okay. I know I'll get to heaven. I know that I'll get to go to heaven, but and I'm, I'm not doing anything about it. I want to look at two passages for a moment before we get into breaking down this, this, these verses here. Just move um, forward a couple of chapters to chapter 25 in Matthew. Let me just share um, my heart as you're turning that. Um, the last two weeks we've, we've talked about uh, the, the, the two kinds of trees, the, the, the healthy tree that that always produces good fruit. It, it can't produce bad fruit, Jesus said. And then you've got the bad tree that, that only produces bad fruit. It can't produce genuine good fruit. And then the week before that where Jesus said there's only two ways. There's two paths, period. There's, there's the narrow path that is hard and afflicted and, and difficult. Not many people find it. And then there's the wide path. And many people find that. And it's easy. And many people walk that. And it leads to destruction. And, and I know, and, and, and just walking away from last Sunday and, and praying through it and, and thinking through it, I, man, as I think about this church, I'm just, I'm so grateful. As I look at, at the people who, who are a part of Cornerstone, I'm so thankful. And, 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 and when, when I preach these sermons, they're, they're hard, difficult teachings. They're hard texts. And, and it can come across as if I'm saying, you guys are bad trees. It, it may sound like that. But here's my, here's my frustration, my struggle, my difficulty, and, 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 and what has burdened me over these weeks. It doesn't matter what I think. I love Cornerstone, and I love how involved you are. I love how you serve. I love how you sing. I love how you love each other. I love those things. But when I come to texts like this, I don't get to look inside of the trees. I don't really get to see what's on the inside. And so my burden is this passage. We may be great singers and great lovers and great fellowshippers and great life group attenders and great churchgoers and just great people. But if we don't know Christ, then we're just going to be a church that stands before him. And he says, I don't know you. I never knew you. And so man, I have I have this unbelievable love for you and I pray for you and and I'm, I'm amazed by you. I, I'm, I'm so thankful for you. And yet know my heart in this. I don't I don't know what's inside of you. And I know Jesus says there are people that come in and out of church all the time and they're faking it. And they're very good at faking it. And then they're going to stand before him and he's going to say, I, didn't, I, don't, I don't know you. I never knew you. And depart from me. And so understand my heart in this is, is that you would be listeners today to God's word, not to me, to God's word. Now, I just want to read two passages for you and that you would just listen and let God's word examine you. Matthew 25, the first uh, 13 verses. Just listen, okay? 
Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in and with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Here's this picture that Jesus gives us of, of these virgins who are waiting for the bridegroom, which is a picture of Christ to return. And five of them are wise and five of them are foolish. They're unprepared. The foolish ones are unprepared. And so when Christ returns, they're unprepared. They're not ready. They were in the right place. They were doing what the other virgins were doing. They were all sleeping. It's not like the bad ones fell asleep and the others were watching. They all fell asleep, but the ones were ready. Five were ready and prepared and, and ready for Christ's return, for the bridegroom's return. The five were not. And they were left. They were left out. If you look further in that chapter to, to, to uh, verse 41, and we're jumping in the middle of a, of a, a picture that, that Jesus is, is talking about here. But it says, Then he will say to those on his left, Now this is a different story, okay? This is the story of the sheep and the goats. And we're jumping in with the goats, okay? Not literally, please. You don't want to be them, okay? But then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord... When do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You got the, the, the five virgins who were completely unprepared for the bridegroom to return and here. You have the goats who are surprised, surprised that the Lord rejects them because they never truly served him. They were never truly his servants. And they're surprised. They're, I mean, it's as if they're saying, Lord, if we, had, if we had literally seen you, if we'd really seen you, of course we would have given you something to drink. Of course we would have given you something to eat. But Jesus said, I told you to do that stuff anyway. I told you to obey. I told you to obey. And if you love me, you would have kept my commandments. You would have obeyed me. You didn't serve me. You just knew about me. So back in Matthew 7. It starts off in this, this part of the sermon. Verse 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. That, that word Lord means master, okay? 
It means master. And so for them to address, especially in this culture, for them to address Jesus as Lord would have been to address him as the one true God. But for them to address him as Lord, Lord, was to add this spirit of zeal, intense zeal, and and this picture of devotedness. And so Jesus, in saying this to them, says, not everyone who says to me, Master, Master, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. As, as we look through this passage, notice that the references are to Jesus' name, okay? So we don't want to get this idea that, that he's talking about, well, he's talking about Muslims, or he's talking about um, Hindus, or he's talking about uh, Buddhists, or he's talking about, he's talking about religious people like that. He's not talking about that. As we look through the passage, he's talking about people who mention and, and call on his name, Jesus. Not everyone that says to me, Jesus, Lord, Lord. Not everyone that says to me, Master, Master, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says that will enter. He says, the one who does the will of my Father. Now, I want you to remember, okay, um, because we can, we can get off in our thinking and, 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 and get it backwards. Well, to be saved, then I have to do the will of God. And that's not what Jesus is saying completely. What he's saying is if you are saved, you will do the will of God. It's just like the picture from last week, the trees, okay? The fruit does not make the tree healthy. The, the good fruit on the outside of the tree does not make the, the, the inside of the tree healthy. The inside of the tree being healthy is what enables the tree to produce good fruit. But if it is healthy, it will produce good fruit, right? So it's not that Jesus is saying it's, it's, it's by works that you'll be saved. It's not that at all. It's, he, what he's saying is if, you have, if you've trusted me, if you've genuinely called me Lord, Lord, in a, in a way that says you are my master and I will follow you, then there's going to be fruit that comes from that. You will do the will of my Father because you genuinely love me. So it's not backwards. Luke four or Luke six forty six says, Jesus kind of uh, it's Luke's account of this passage. But he says, "Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord if you're not going to do what I tell you to do?" That's a great question, right? Why would I call someone master if I'm not going to submit to them as my master? That's what Jesus is saying in Luke six and here. Why, why do you call me that if you're not submitting to me? Let me remind you, when he talks about God's will, God's will is revealed through God's word. He's given us his word. He's revealed his will through his word. And if we want to know his will, then we want to be in his word. And, and Jesus says that. Whoever loves me keeps my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so if I want to know his will, then I want to get into his word and find out what he says. Master, what are you telling me to do? How do you want me to live? I'll do it because of who you are and what you've done. You're my Lord. You're my master. I want to serve you. I want to serve you. Hebrews 5 uh, verse 9 says, And being made perfect, Jesus 
became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Romans 6.16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. If I present myself to Jesus as Lord, then I'm presenting myself, if he's master, as what? What's the alternative? If he's master, I'm what? Nobody wants to say it. It's like, I don't want to be a slave. It, but that's what it is, right? If he's Lord, if he's master, then I'm slave of him. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'm submitting myself as a slave of Christ. And what Paul says in Romans 6 is, you're a slave to something. Whether you think you are or not, you're a slave to something. Either you're a slave to sin and you're going to obey sin. You're going to obey what that does in your life and, and through your flesh and the desires that, 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 that brings. You're going to obey sin or you're going to obey God. You're going to be a slave of Christ, which is obedience that leads to righteousness. So what are we truly a slave to? Let me ask you this. What is the essential characteristic of a true believer? I would say obedience. <laughs> From everything that we see Jesus say, or hear Jesus say, or read that he says, it's obedience. One of the main characteristics of a, of a true believer is one who submits themselves to Christ and says, I want you, I want you, I want you, I want you. And he transforms us and then produces in us this amazing fruit, right? That we talked about last week with the fruit of the spirit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all these amazing things. But in that transformation, the characteristic that comes from that is, Lord, I still want you. I want you. I want to follow you. I want to obey you. I want to submit to you. I want you as the Lord of my life. It goes on in the passage, verse 22, it says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Many, it says. The same many word that he talks about in, in, in uh, verse 13. It says, The gate is wide and the way is easy and uh, that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are Many. Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, here's the thing is, as we look back at at verses 12 through 14, where Jesus lays out the two possible paths and there's only two. Both have an end. We talked about that two weeks ago, but both have an end. Both paths have an end. And, and, and that's what Jesus is referring to here in, in verse 22 is the, the broad path has now come to an end. And at the end of the broad path is a judge. And, and that's what he's talking about. You've come to the end of the broad path and it was easy and it was nice and it was comfortable. And it, was, it may have been filled with attending church and, and doing things in the name of Jesus. But it's at the end now and you're standing before a judge. Look what, look what they're saying to Jesus. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, look what it says that they're saying here. Did we not prophesy in your name? 
Have we not cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? All three, in your name. In, in the name of Jesus, there's, they're doing these works. Prophesying and casting out demons and, and doing many mighty things. In the name of Christ. I mean, the question comes up, how is that possible, right? How is it possible that they're doing these things and not truly saved? And Jesus doesn't say that anything about that here. He doesn't tell us. He just says they're not genuine. And, and, and we can look through the New Testament and see other examples. Maybe it's, it's just being deceived by Satan and used by Satan. Certainly, we know that that, is, that happens and, and it's coming even more. Jesus says in Matthew 24, uh, verse 24, that in the end times, false prophets are going to arise. And they're going to do many mighty works so that, if possible, they would even lead the elect astray. And so incredible works that could lead people astray. So maybe it's maybe it is the work or deception of Satan and demons through this person's life who who claims to follow Jesus and does them in the name of Jesus. Maybe when I mean, you think of the slave girl in Acts, right, who's following Paul and 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 demon possessed and, and shouting out behind Paul for days and days and days. These are these are servants of the Most High God, and what they say is true. Believe what they're saying. Believe what they're saying. That sounds good, right? But it was, it was all done by demons. Why? To cause a distraction to the true gospel. Maybe it's just faked or contrived. We, we don't know. Certainly that's the case sometimes. However the works are done, those who did them did not belong to Jesus. I thought through this. Um, these people, and, 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 and you just... You sense this desperation as, as they're before the Lord, clinging to what they've done. And, and I thought through the Pharisees. That's what they wanted, right? That's, that's what they sought. They wanted a sign. They wanted to see the works. They, you know, they, would, they would say that to Jesus. If you're the Son of God, we want to see a sign. Prove it. Show us that you're the Son of God by giving us a sign. And I thought through that. I, I wonder how many of us, as we look through these things, man, they could prophesy? These people could cast out demons. These people did many mighty works. I wonder how many of us would desire those things more than we desire Jesus. I wonder how many of us, if we got down to the core of us, dug down in, would be like, man, I, I'd love to be able to do that. I would desire that. I would love to be a person that could do those things more than genuinely I'm really desiring Jesus right now. It goes on in verse 23. Many will say to me, verse 22 again, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, certainly Jesus isn't saying, I, didn't, I don't know who you are, I don't know anything about you. He's not saying that, you know, the God of the universe isn't saying he didn't know who the person is. He's saying, I, I didn't have a relationship with you. There was no relationship here. We did not have this relationship. I didn't know you. In fact, um, 
in the Old Testament, the prophet Nahum in, in chapter 1, verse 7 says this, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. He knows them. There's a relationship. There's, there's an intimacy between the two of them. He knows them. And, and in John 10, verses 1 through 14, it talks about Jesus being the good shepherd and how the good shepherd knows his sheep intimately. He knows them. There's a relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. He knows them by name. And they know his voice and he leads them out, it says. There's this relationship between the true sheep and the true shepherd. And Jesus is the good shepherd. And he says, I know my sheep. I know my sheep. And many are going to stand before me and claim to do all of these things in my name. And I'm going to say, I never knew you. You know, um, in 1994, I was at Grace College. And Sean, I was at Grace College. We were in this... this uh, group that the, the the college sent out to be ambassadors for the college and and uh we we went and we sang in in uh um the washington dc area and one of the guys that led us into the church was setting up for us uh he was a secret service guard for the white house and he's like hey you guys want to do a tour tonight we're like ah sure um so we drive out to the white house and pull up these gates open up we go inside the gates like we're people really park at the white house and so we pull these really nice looking grace college vans in boom um to these two parking lots and two parking spots we get out we're kind of gathering together kind of getting our heads together he's kind of giving us instructions bill clinton walks by and so one guy who had way more courage than i did in our group yells out at the president of the united states hey can we sing you a song i'm like he can kill you right so he stops and he comes over and like he's talking to us and we're spending time with him. And, and then after a few minutes, we sing this song to the president of the United States right there in the parking lot. I have a picture, okay? Don't look at me that way, all right? <laughs> so we sing this song and, and here's Bill Clinton, the president of the United States, and, and standing there. And, and it, was, it was an amazing moment. I mean, it was amazing. Uh, it was so good for me biblically because um, at the time there were things that we may or may not have been saying on the way to the White House. Man, if we meet such and such person, I got something to say. And uh, and then all of a sudden you see the president of the United States and you're nobody. And you got nothing to say except for, whoa, like this is the most powerful person in the world. It was Amazing. I mean, it was a it was a good moment for me just realizing, man, I need to be praying for my leaders. I need to be praying for my leaders. I need to be praying for my leaders. It's just a cool moment. But here's the thing. Um, I didn't go to his house the next week. I didn't knock on his door and say, hey, Bill, you remember me? Um, I was I was like the shorter guy in the group that sang to you last. Remember, we talked. We were like friends. If you went to Bill Clinton and said, um, you know, Tony Hall, uh, he and I, we go to the same church. He would not know who I am. Uh, we had no relationship. I met him, uh, bumped into him, and we spent a few minutes together, but he doesn't know me. Uh, he never knew me. This was a brief encounter. 
so many people in the church are looking back on a brief encounter that they had with the Savior of the world that was not a genuine, I'm surrendering to you conversion experience. And they're looking back on that and thinking, he knows me. Because one time I cried in church. Or one time I sang really loud in church. I loved it. It was amazing. It was supernatural. I just felt something different. And I look back on that moment and it it just, it was amazing. And so Jesus knows me. And he doesn't. You know, I have a relationship with him. Jesus says, many people are going to come to me on that day and they're going to say all these things that they did in my name. And I'm going to say, I don't know you. I never knew you. Depart from me. That word, that phrase, depart from me, I just, as I look through this passage, I think through this passage, there's, in my mind, I cannot think of a more terrifying word being spoken, ever. Jesus saying, depart from me. You don't get me. We didn't have a relationship. It's as if the Lord is saying, I've never known you as my disciples, and you never know me as your Lord and Savior. We have no intimate part of each other. You, you, you chose your kingdom and, and it wasn't my kingdom. And so depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. It's, it's this picture of, of evildoers. You who practice evil. You, you who are not bearing good fruit. You're not healthy on the inside. James 2, we mentioned um, at the beginning, just, just one verse from there. But James 2, James 2 Verses uh, 17 through 19 says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Here's the thing, the demons have not submitted themselves to Christ. I said last week, um, I'm going to say again, no Christian is sinless, okay? Don't don't hear me wrong. Um, Every tree produces bad fruits sometimes. It has to be pruned. And then the pruning process helps it to create more and better good fruit. So I'm not saying if you have sinned, or if you continue to sin, well, then you're not saved. I'm not saying that. Uh, every, every Christian sins. There's no Christian that's sinless. But the fact that we continually confess our sins and seek the Lord's forgiveness and long for righteousness that comes from him is evidence that we believe and belong to him. We want to be pruned because he's our master. And we're his slave and we want to be the image of him to this world. We want to glorify him in the way that we live. If, if, we, if we're going through and saying, yeah, I, you know, I'm, it's not what it should be. My relationship with the Lord isn't anywhere near what it should be. And I'm okay with that. That should cause question marks to come up in our hearts. Do I really love Jesus? Do I really know him as, as who he really is? If I'm okay being Apart from him. I mean, I can't imagine going on, on a, a long trip away from my family. 
and saying, man, I, I love Shauna. I love Shauna so much. I love her so much. Are you excited to go home? Nah. I don't know. We take it or leave it. I've got her picture on my computer. That's, I mean, that's ridiculous, right? I love her, so I want to be with her. I want to be, uh, have time with her. I want to be in the same home with her. I want to be in the same city. As, I want to be with her. And if I love Jesus, then I want to be with Jesus. I long for him. I'm not okay just going through life being the, the sinful and, and, and doing the things that displease the one that I love. He's my master. He's my Lord. And I want to be like him as I serve him more and more and more. I want to give you four warnings um, against self-deception or characteristics of, of those that are self-deceived. One, number one is this. It's those who prayed. And that's your that's your that's your place you stand on. I prayed. Someone told me to walk an aisle or pray a prayer or raise a hand and, and never, ever, ever, ever doubt what the Lord has done. Never doubt. Never, never doubt that you're saved. Never doubt. Let me, let me just say, we have no right to assure a person of something that we can't be certain that is true. And I just mean that in this. If there's no fruit, if I go up to a, an orange tree and it's just dead... I'm not going to turn and tell someone, I'd like to have the tree in my yard. (laughs) That's a good, healthy tree. I have no right to go up to someone who's dead on the outside and say, oh, you you prayed a prayer? Oh, don't worry about it. You're fine. You're fine. You prayed a prayer. You had an experience. And so many people are clinging, looking back on their salvation, looking back on their salvation. And there's no fruit. I've never had a relationship with Jesus. I've never walked with him. I've never walked with him. I've never obeyed him. But I prayed one time. The second thing is a lack of self-examination. We've talked about this the last three weeks. But 2 Corinthians 13.5 where Paul says examine yourselves. And I mean that in the case of those who are just oblivious and unconcerned about obvious sins in their life. I mean, you know, you know there are obvious sins in your life and you're just, no self-examination. Well, that's just, that's just my burden to bear. That's just what I deal with. No. No, you take it to Christ and you repent. And you say, you're good enough. Your blood is sufficient enough. And I'm giving this to you and I'm surrendering it to you. The third thing is that this idea that, you know, I, I, I was born a Christian. I was born in church. I've heard, I mean, I've heard, I don't know if you've heard that before. I've heard that. Are you a Christian? I was born a Christian. How long have you been a Christian? I was born a Christian. Really? Man, I wish I could have got in on that, right? <laughs> I got a bad deal if that's the case. You can't be born a Christian. You may have been born in a home that went to church all the time, but you're not born a Christian. There, there's a, there's a, a moment where, where Christ turns the light on, 2 Corinthians 4 says, where God shines in your heart and you understand that you are absolutely lost without Him and you surrender everything to Him because of all that He is and all that He has done to make it possible for you to be reconciled to God through Christ and what He accomplished on the cross. There's a moment when that happens. 
It's not, I've just gone to church all my life. And the fourth one, this is maybe the most popular. My good deeds outweigh my bad ones. My good deeds outweigh the bad things that I do. If you are good enough to do that, hey, but they don't outweigh the bad ones. And it doesn't matter. A couple of verses, Romans 3. Verse 12. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one, which disqualifies you. No one does good, not even one. Romans 6.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, did I say 6.23 the first time? 3.23. 6.23 says the wages of that sin is death, separation from God. All have sinned and the wages of that sin is separation from God. And then Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6 that says, the best of our righteousness is like Filthy rags before the Lord. Just disgusting garments before the Lord. The best of our righteousness, the best of our deeds is like that. We need Jesus. We need Christ. We need to be known by Christ. And, and, and so here's what I want to do in, in, in just wrapping this up. And, and, and as I prayed and prayed through... Um, this message, I just want to have a time of uh, you examining. I don't, know, I don't know where you're at. I don't know. I don't know if, if, if the Lord returned today, would you stand before him? And he would say, well done, a good and faithful certain servant, enter in. Or if he would say, I never knew you. We didn't have a relationship. I never knew you. I don't know that. And, and so I just want to I want to take a, just a few minutes of, of quiet and um, and just examining your own heart. And really, when you examine your own heart, that's just looking in and seeing is what is in me aligning with and pursuing what is God and his glory. And I'm not looking to see if there's more good or, than there is bad. I'm just looking, what's the purpose in my heart? Am I seeking God? Am I aligning with Him? Am I, am, I, am I coming to Him through His Word? Am I obeying Him? Is there evidence of God transforming me and being in me? And so here's what I'm going to ask. Is, is just going to take a couple minutes and, and, and just quiet. Um, we're going to sing in, in a few minutes, but... Um, if you've never come to Christ and surrendered to him for salvation, here's what, here's what I want you to do. And, and if you examine and you see, you know what, I'm, I'm looking back on something that I'm hoping is going to get to me to heaven, and, but I'm not following Jesus. I have no relationship with Jesus. Then I'm going to ask you, um, I'll be playing softly, and, and we're going to sing in a minute. Don't sing. Um, I'm going to ask you to get up, and there'll be some people that um, will be back here to meet with you. Um, there's a room that we have that's that's a bigger room and, and away from here that um, you can go to and, and just pray with that person. 
my desire, my desire um, is that we would be a church that um, is genuinely following Christ, that we love him, that we live for him, that we're a reflection of him because of him being in us and working in us and saving us. And so um, I'm praying that if there's anyone here, man, I know if that's the story of you and you've been coming to church and you've been faking it, there's the pride is the reason you're doing that. I mean, it's, it's probably the biggest reason you're doing that is there's no way you could ever imagine the people here seeing that you were one of these people. And let me just encourage you, I would way rather see you now confess that than then. I would, I mean, I hope you know that you've been around these people, if you have, that this is a people who will embrace and worship and praise and rejoice and celebrate over what God does in your heart. We don't, we don't want people who just look like Christians here. We want people to love Jesus and treasure him, live for him. So I'm praying for you. I don't know who you are. or I don't know, but I'm praying for you and just asking God to just come in and awaken and give faith and humility that says, today, today, I'm submitting to you, Jesus. Let me pray for you, Lord. Thank you so much for your amazing love and grace. God, I pray, I pray for genuineness, Lord, for young and old here right now. No matter the age, Lord, I pray that you would just work and move. God, use your word. We've seen a picture, we've seen a glimpse of the end when we come before you in this passage, Lord. And for many, it's fearful. You said that, many, many will come to you on that day proclaiming the works that they've done in the name of Jesus and you will declare that you never knew them. Jesus, I pray, I pray that you would just open eyes, shine in hearts right now, God. I pray that you would break through fear. I pray that you would um, strengthen and, and help um, every single person who, who has been faking this, who's just been walking along, pretending like they have this relationship with you, maybe even deceiving themselves, pretending to themselves, Lord, fooling themselves into thinking that because of something that they might have done in the past or even maybe something that they're doing right now that you're just going to be so pleased with them, but they've never surrendered to you, that there's no relationship, there's no desire for obedience, there's no desire for your righteousness. God, if there's anyone here like that right now, God, I pray that you would move and work and draw them, Father, pray that they would be the wise and not foolish one today 
who sees in light of eternity and not just now, and who prepares themselves for the coming of a great and loving King. In Christ's name, amen.